Welcome to the P4C podcast. We are excited to reshare with you the last 13 years of teaching through God's Word at Passion for Christ Summit. Each week, the P4C podcast delivers rich truths for your life, and we know you will be blessed. Our current series is from P4C 2016, Truth, Defending Your Faith in a Secular Age. We now join Charles Cavanaugh for today's message. We hope you are encouraged and challenged. What are right and wrong? Are they personal, subjective ideas that change from culture to culture, even person to person? Is it wrong to lie? Is it okay to lie a little? Does it really matter that I sleep with my significant other even though we're not married? After all, uh, the social expectation has changed. And if you are anywhere out in the world, you know that, and I recognize it because I've seen it happen since I resigned my church and went out into the the secular work world. I've seen that the social expectation change. I've seen it go from people saying, well, we live together, to uh, my boyfriend and I, and I, you know, and like it's no big deal. The social expectation has changed. In a discussion with a co-worker who is from a somewhat Christian background, he asked, does the Bible actually say we have to get married? Uh, I've lived with my girlfriend longer than a lot of people stay married. He had a point. It wasn't correct, but he had a point. I mean, I understand where he's coming from. Perhaps then the notion of morality is just that, a notion. Or at least no more than an unnecessary social construct, a tradition which varies with time and circumstance. How do we as believers, answer those questions and address those issues? How do we biblically come to grips with whether or not morality as an issue is even necessary? Our text points out at least three things. You'd probably be disappointed if I didn't say three. At least three things that point to morality as a spiritual, biblical, and human necessity. And so tonight we're going to try to answer biblically the question, is morality necessary? By looking at Romans 1 again, our brother Matt was there a couple of nights ago and stepped all over my sermon. Actually, they dovetail and that's by design. We hope when we assign these topics that we will actually kind of uh, interweave and say some of the same things and from a different angle. We're going to look particularly tonight at verses 18 and 25. We will look at some of the other verses in the context. It's hard. It's next to impossible to avoid it. But, but our text is, verse, is uh, Romans 1.18 and then verse 25 as we answer the question, is morality necessary? Verse 18, you will remember from... Wednesday evening, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven 
against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, of humans, of people who suppress the truth with unrighteousness. And then verse 25, who changed the truth, the King James says, of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature or the created thing more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What are those three things that point to the necessity of morality? Well, the first is this. Human behavior points to it. Human behavior points to it. In verse 18, the wrath of God is being, is continuously being, it says in the original, revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Are you all familiar with the great philosopher Yogi Berra? I mean, you know something about yogiisms, right? If you know who he is. For those of you who don't know, he was, a, he was a, a member of one of the greatest teams ever, the New York Yankees. Won 10 World Series rings. That's all not part of the discussion here, though. The great philosopher Yogi Berra said once, you can observe a lot by watching. And you and I can certainly observe a lot by watching human behavior. Philosophers have spent much time and mental energy trying to understand human behavior while often believing and asserting that humans are only matter, just stuff, flesh and blood, nothing more. Spirituality, some say, is a myth. Physicality, which is not a word, but gets used by sports commentators. Physicality, a fact. And while our text does not deal directly, at least, with spirituality and physicality, it does address human behavior. And there are two things, two observations, and more importantly, um, uh, our text, that tell us this. That human behavior points to the necessity of morality. The first is the existence of sinful behavior. For the wrath of God is continuously being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people, of men. There is much by God's common grace that can be observed among humans that is at least outwardly good. We know that, right? We know that people who don't know Christ, who don't pretend to follow Christ or believe him, do good stuff. They do good things in, in an outward human way. Philanthropy, benevolence, creativity are all evidences of the image of God in mankind. But the psalmist said it well when he observed, Surely every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Or in the words of a preacher I heard one time, even at his best, man's bad enough. Now this is the problem philosophers and skeptics of biblical Christianity have. What do we do with the existence of evil? What do we do about evil? And our text deals specifically with the sinful behavior of fallen and unconverted Mankind. <clears throat> the first word, ungodliness, refers to the natural impiety in human beings that grows in them unless God brings it to a stop. 
It's the lack of reverence toward God which ultimately results in the denial of God altogether. Ungodliness, impiety. Paul describes it later in Romans chapter 3, verse 18, quoting Psalm 36, 1. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The second word, unrighteousness. Paul actually deals very, very clearly with it in chapter 3 of Romans, beginning in verse 10, when he says, it is written, I remember that phrase from Wednesday night, it stands written, there is none righteous, no, not one, there is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God, they are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable, there is none that does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This unrighteousness is the fruit of godlessness, of, of a godless life, and affects not just the sinner's personal life, but also how he or she relates to his or her fellow man. The word assumes, the word unrighteousness assumes a standard of right and wrong, a righteous standard. It is a word that has fallen into disfavor unless it is used as a slur. People will say someone is self-righteous or aren't they righteous. But n hardly, at least outside the walls of a Bible-believing church is the word used in a positive way. But it has fallen into this disfavor for the very reason, and that is this, who is to say, after all, what is right or wrong for me? What an arrogant claim to presume to know what is righteous or unrighteous. The whole idea of righteousness is antiquated, a relic of a bygone era. Now we'll come back to that thought in a moment, that argument in a moment, but for now we see the scriptures describing a world without God or a godless world as suffering the wrath of God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, impiety, irreverence, and the unrighteousness that comes from that attitude toward God of men and women. The um, evidences and the expressions of sinful behavior. But the second thing we see about the behavior of men that points to the necessity of morality is the effect of sinful behavior. And the effect of sinful behavior is shown in our verse. Our brother Matt referred to it in his message. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. What a difference then. What difference then, as it sounds familiar, doesn't it? What difference then does it make? That sounds familiar. But what difference does it make from a biblical perspective if people live godless, unrighteous lives? Paul nails it down here for us. They suppress the truth. 
Now, this is a common biblical assertion. Paul is not the only one to say it. In fact, I'm sure he learned it from the Old Testament. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Psalm 53.1 echoes that same, that those two, two psalms are almost identical. And it echoes the same thought. Pilate is an example of this. After interrogating Jesus and hearing his claim to bear witness to the truth, Pilate asked that famous question, what is truth? Now, this is not the sincere cry of one searching for an answer. It is the cynical response of one whose heart and life resist the truth. The truth that was in his very presence. So when he said, what is truth, it wasn't like, please tell me, what's truth? No, what's, what is truth? That's what we have in, our, in your generation, in my generation, in our culture, in our world. They cynically ask, what is truth? Really? Truth? Morality? Now, fallen humans do not naturally seek the truth, but suppress it by the wickedness of their lives. But now here's the question, what does all of this have to do with the necessity of morality? Well, the postmodern mind rejects the notion of sin. Now, they just use different words, though. They may call it things like wrong or bad or socially harmful. There is socially harmful behavior, or people may claim certain behavior just doesn't work in society. It's not pragmatic. But no matter how one describes it, it's still sin. Just come up with different names because we don't want to use these archaic names and forms and terminology. A rose by any other name still smells right, just as sweet. But to use the opposite concept, you can call barnyard manure what you want. It still smells just as bad. Right? And if something is wrong, then something else is right. I mean, that's not hard logic, really. If something is bad, then something else is good. And if something is socially unworkable or impractical, it begs the question, why? One may argue the issue, but human behavior is undeniable and points to the necessity of morality. The second, human belief points to it. We move to our second verse, verse 25. Human behavior points to the necessity of morality. Human belief points to the necessity of morality. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Humans are born to worship. Again, our brother Matt referred to that. We are worshiping Creatures. And, and humans worship what they believe deserves it. Everybody worships what they believe deserves to be worshipped. They give worth to it. And one may argue, I don't believe in anything. To which someone else may reply, do you believe that? Now that's not just a cute gotcha question. 
although it is a cute gotcha question. <laughs> but, I mean, everybody's got a gotcha. Lost people have gotchas. They, you know, they've got the touche questions. But that's, it's got to be more than that. The human heart longs to embrace something and believes what it embraces is worthy of pursuing. And Paul addresses the issue of human belief in verses 24 and 25, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust or desires of their own heart, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, and who exchanged the truth of God, or changed the truth of God into a lie. Why is the world controlled by its desires? Why do they dishonor their bodies among themselves? Well, it begins with the conscious rejection of the truth. The conscious rejection of the truth. They change the truth of God into a lie. People don't become sinful by accident. Aside from the fact that they are by nature children of wrath, I mean they don't become more sinful and pursue sin by accident. Sin is natural and sin is intentional. Man is conscionable and man is responsible. He acts naturally and she acts purposefully. The sinful, unregenerate person is described not just as changing the truth, but exchanging the truth. And that's what the verse, the text, literally says. The conscious, he consciously rejects the truth embodied in Christ and expressed in Scripture. His conscience argues against the truth. And over in chapter 2, verse 25, Paul says, "...which show the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness." Now you get the picture there. Paul is describing... The sinful person, uh, or the, the Gentile, or the person who's not naturally religious, but they, they show the work of God, written the law of God written in their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. I mean, we've all done that, right? Have we ever had that exercise? Accusing or excusing. Oh, I can't believe it. Oh, well, I, you know, everybody does that. I mean, you know, that's that kind of back and forth that we have with ourselves that lost people do. You think they don't think. They may be, have become used to thinking. The unregenerate mind may have become used to thinking that way, but they still think that way. It's kind of like the person who is a habitual liar. They no longer really have to think about lying because it's become a habit. But there's been a process that led them to be a habitual liar. They're still responsible for what they do. And they're responsible for the conscious rejection of the truth. And while sincerity on a human level is commendable, it gets one nowhere with God. I used to tell my sons, Maybe your parents have told you something like this. I'm the old guy here, so I say, talk, you know, wax eloquent about the way it was when my boys were young. But, you know, they would do something wrong. And I would chastise them for it. And they would say, I didn't mean to. To which I would reply, it doesn't matter what you meant to do. It matters what you did. doesn't matter what 
How many of you think when we stand at the judgment that it will wash with God to say, I didn't mean to. All truth is we do mean to. All too much. The proof, the outcome is decided by what we do. And human behavior points to a conscious rejection of the truth. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have questions about P4C, visit our website at p4csummit.org. Or you can email us at info at p4csummit.org. We hope you can join us next week on the P4C podcast as we listen to part two of this message. May God bless you as you seek to passionately live for His glory each and every day.